Hi everybody, this is Jess. Welcome back to The List. Wow, it's been a while. I haven't done a, uh, an episode in a couple of months, and I tell you, I felt it. It made me realize how precious this gratitude practice is for me. Um, I've been doing another a podcast called Sleep Wave, which helps people go to sleep, and that's been really exciting and satisfying. So if you need help sleeping, please go there. But hey, I can do two things at once, I hope. This week, I'm talking to Connor Malbuff, and he just uh, put out a movie, a documentary that will be available on Apple TV starting March 4th. So please check it out, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's so nice to be here. Welcome to the list. I'm speaking today with Connor Malbuff. Well, first of all, hi, Connor. Hello. <laughs> I met you through my cousin's daughter, so technically my first cousin once removed, Bryn, who is a very talented singer-songwriter. And you guys, I believe, went to university together. Yes, we did. We, we met on the first day of school, and they put us beside each other in, like, a big auditorium, and we didn't know each other. And we wow. looked at each other and, like, immediately said, okay, I think we'll be friends. <laughs> so... You've launched a documentary that you made called One Week Till Doomsday. Let's talk about that. Like, what is this movie all about? Man, it's hard, it's hard to throw the, the documentary in a little synopsis. I mean, you know, you know, 15 states in 15 days. It's about two immigrants that drive across the country during a global pandemic while the election is happening, the 2020 election kind of trying to uncover the untold stories of America. And that's kind of like a very polished way of saying that, like, we, we got in the minivan, we drove through 15 states, and each state is distinctively different than the other, and they all deal with very different issues. You know, Texas, is, uh, during the election, during COVID, was a completely different ballgame than Oklahoma or California or Arizona. So it's really delving into the historical problems of America, but also into the reaction people were having during a very, very troubling time that people have never really dealt with before. So there was just a, there was a lot going on in the country. And we just, you know, a microphone, as you know, is a very powerful tool to get people to share their stories, whether the comedically or very emotionally. So, yeah, we got a lot of really interesting stories. You really did. You got this amazing cross-section of voices, some of whom you just stumbled upon and some you probably had thought through ahead of time, but it is this mm. very real, grounded, like, tapestry. And a number of things <laughs> impressed me with it. But you, Connor, are like the organizing principle of this movie. You are the heart and the soul of it. And you, and don't blush, but I'm about to like compliment bomb you. Like you have a really interesting combination of funny, smart, attractive, kind, and ballsy. Ballsy. Like who gets in the fucking van 15 days before the election and just pulls out a camera and has a drone and, uh, you know, puts together <laughs> a really good movie. So, oh, well, thank you. But it's true. And, and like I said, you're the heart of it. So the viewer also gets to know you and enjoy you and uh, within this circus. 
that is America at that time. Yeah. Well, I remember you sent me a voice memo the the morning after the premiere in LA, and I I listened to it, and it was like it was just it was so complimentary. But I just remember one of the biggest things you said was like, and you you know it was so good, and you know what you didn't come across as a douchebag, which is like the really really hard thing to do. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm really glad I didn't come across as a douchebag because truthfully. You might think that wasn't something on our mind, but that was something on our mind. Like, you know, ultimately, if someone's hosting a show, like I was, you know, throughout, you know, there were some times where I was more prevalent than others. But when you're hosting a show like this, it's really hard, A, to not come across like an asshole or an egomaniac or it's all about me all the time. Right. And when we were in the editing room for this, like that was always something we were having a conversation about. You know, there were times when I was like, just take me out of it. Like, we have a segment about mm. when we go to the border and the immigration segment. I was like, I don't even need to be here. This is not my story. Mm. I can't be the mm-hmm. one to tell this story. Let the interview speak for itself. Let the people speak for mm-hmm. themselves. Let the experts speak for themselves. I mean, yeah, we were fucking crazy to do it. We really were. But at the time, it just it felt right. Like, it feels crazier now after we're out of it than it did mm. in the moment, mm. if that makes any sense. Right. Well, it was a crazy time. So I think on some level, we were all doing some crazy things, whether it was getting in a van and making movies or just staying in our houses all day, like painting by numbers. Yeah. You know, it was a crazy time. What would you say were your big takeaways from that trip or from making the movie? Like, how did it change you? Well, I think a few things. You know, on the road, oh, I mean, there were so many takeaways, um, whether that's, you know, learning about, you know, missing migrants in the Arizona desert or the effects of COVID-19 on indigenous people when they asked for PPE and were sent body bags. There were just so many moments when I found myself learning about such a complicated, complicated nation. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's too many physical learning experiences, but I also just think when you do something as powerful and as big as this, you become a different fucking person. Point blank. Like, mm-hmm. someone asked that at the, mm-hmm. at the Toronto premiere last week. Someone asked, like, Have you, do you feel like you're a different person? And I was like, in every facet of my life, in the way I treat wow. people, in the way I email people, in the way I talk to certain people, in the way I um, do my other jobs, in, like, literally for every, single, every single physical thing I do. So that's kind of, like, I feel like the biggest learning experience is that I just, like, look at things with a different eye and like I collectively understand that it's not as simple as just interviewing some people and putting it all together and making a movie. It's like all the right. little intricate details about like, you know, how do we do this right? You know, and being sensitive to certain situations and just being authentic because you can be caught in a lot of lies when you make a documentary. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's a lot mm-hmm. of sometimes smoke and mirrors, right? So how do you make it as authentic and bulletproof as possible? And that's like letting other people tell their story. As something as minuscule as before we post something on Instagram or before you write a joke, Jeff, you probably want to run it by someone to see if it's funny. We always love to like run people's opinions by our own art and our own emotions. And instead of just saying like, do I believe in this? And if so, then run mm-hmm. with that. It's like that gut intuition kind of feeling, right? Like, four people had seen the film before you watched it. Like, very, very small amount of people. Wow. And I was very, very meticulous about, like, I mean, I'm also very controlling, and I knew exactly what I wanted. 
But it took a long time to like fully understand what I wanted to say, how I wanted to say it, how I wanted stories to come across, the ebbs and flow of emotion and comedy and how to blend those two things together. Mm-hmm. It's a really mm-hmm. challenging thing. But I think the, the biggest takeaway was just like being able to trust myself, which is hard to do. <sighs> it's great though. And also like figuring out who you are differently, like as a person evolves, like it, you evolve every single yeah. year, every single month, every single day. Like right. you grow and like so much so, especially in the past couple of years, you know, being locked in a room, you really have to figure out who the fuck you are and what you stand for, mm-hmm. right? And I think I think yeah. that's that's why this film was made for the most part is because I was like I was just seeing so much shit happen and I was like I want to have a voice in this moment when when people forget it or when you know my kids mm-hmm. kids are looking back and are like what was that moment in time like Absolutely Let's do the list um, Let's do it Okay I will start. I went out last night to see some comedy on this like venue that's on a rooftop in Hollywood called something Mama, Mama's Place or something. I don't know what it's Oh, called. Mama Shelter. Um, Mama Shelter. Yes, Mama Shelter, which was like the coolest place I've been in a while. You know, it really was <laughs> like the cool kids playing. And then there was a DJ, and I love, love, love dancing. And... And it's the kind of thing where, you know, like I can take a hip-hop class and I'm a complete, like, middle-aged white lady. You know what I mean? Like, I have no swagger. I can't adopt a style of dance and, like, do it in some sort of perfect way at all. I have my own, like, free-form dance thing going on on the dance floor. But I so get into it. So I just dance. Dancing is such good exercise, but it's so spontaneous and joyous and celebratory and hypnotic. Mm. And I just go into the zone, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that because I haven't done it that much. I mean, clearly during the pandemic, we haven't really had the opportunities, but I just get lazy around it. I watch, like, TV, which causes you to be sitting all the time, and what I do professionally causes me to be at a computer a lot of the time. And to think that as I get older, like, my love of moving to music will always be there. Sort of the paradox of that, you think as you get older, you should be, like, careful, and it's like, no, celebrate, like, move as much as you can. I was just really, really grateful to love dancing and for these two women who, like, could see how much I love dancing and did it with me. And, uh, yeah, it was a great night, so I'm grateful for dancing. I think dancing is just like the movement your body does when it's happy. So like whatever it looks like is so individual to that person. So I think, I mean, I think you are entitled to dance just as much as anybody else. Everybody should feel that emotion of closing your eyes and feeling like your body do things it's not normally supposed to do or doesn't normally do. It's just like that visceral feeling of losing yourself in either like a song or a movement or a dance. It's like one of the most magical feelings ever. Yes. So what am I grateful for? Firstly, just got a new mattress, which is phenomenal. And it's not a shitty mattress from Ikea. Like it's one of those friggin' Casper, like I'm just going to soak in and you're not even going to know I'm there. And I I was like, you know what? After making a movie, my back's pretty fucked up. I got carpal tunnel. You know what? I think I got to treat myself 
not with food or alcohol or any of that, <laughs> but with a bed, <laughs> with a new friggin' mattress. And I, I think that's adulting. Yes. And you will be grateful for it every night for quite a while. Oh, I, back to you. I sat and looked at the lunar eclipse last night, and mm. it was a long, slow thing that went over something like three hours, like the total, I think I caught the end of it. I happened to be up late. And it was like the moon looked orangey, corally, pinky red. And you could only, and only one tiny sliver of it on the lower left-hand side was really brightly illuminated. And it had been, when I was on the dance floor in Hollywood at 10 p.m., a full moon, like completely white, illuminated entirely. And then however many hours later, it's like kind of all red except one slice of white. And it was really cool. So I was on the phone to the person telling her about the eclipse, and I was like, go outside, go outside. And, you know, she lives in a condo, and it was, like, sort of difficult for her to see the moon. And I thought, wow, I'm so grateful that I have this connection to the sky and the stars and this chair that makes it, like, a perfect thing. It's kind of like your mattress, like the material circumstance to allow something else to happen. And, but it was cool. It was really cool. So stargazing and the eclipse. As you know, I just wrapped up doing the, the three shows last week uh, in L.A. and Toronto and New York. And I am grateful for people that showed up, especially during COVID and the pandemic. And for us to feel the love of a lot of really amazing people that showed up and came out and supported us and, and supported the film. And w no matter what it was, I'm just like grateful and honored that people showed up and showed us love after such a long period of time sitting in a room it was like just such a really beautiful moment that I will probably remember for the rest of my life. And um, yeah, I'm grateful mm -hmm. for, you know, friends and family that showed up and supported us. Yeah, totally. I'm really grateful for whole grains. I, mm. you know, I have this career like writing about health food and I'm quote macrobiotic unquote, which I use the air quotes because it's just like, that's a whole way of eating that I feel like I constantly fail at doing well. But I understand it. I know how to cook it. And when I get back on the wagon, per se, and it's not like I fall all the way off to McDonald's, but when I come back home to the cooking that I know, it's very powerful, healthy food. And without exception, every single time I've come back home to this way of cooking, my mind is totally blown again. How powerful it is, you know? It's like, what, you can't hold that thought in your head? You know what I mean? But clearly, no. It has to be re-experienced every time. So I have a friend who's in a nursing home, and she just turned 88, and her quality of life is really, really not good compared to what it's been throughout her entire adult life, although she doesn't have, you know, a chronic degenerative disease. And she wants to die. She's like, I'm done. I can't even get out of bed. I'm, you know, have diapers. And, wow. You know, like I, this is no way to live. And at first I was kind of like, oh, come on, come on, you know. And then you realize like what they're really saying. I mean, she's literally in a chair like 24 hours a day, except when someone comes in, helps her out to do something really basic and then puts her back in. So, you know, you think about it and go, you know what? I get what you're saying. And, uh, mm -hmm. This woman is fundamentally very strong, has a strong constitution. And as much as she wants to die, 
you know, it could be 10 years before she actually dies. Like, no one knows how much gas is still in that motor because often that's what it comes down to is, like, if you're built like a brick shithouse constitutionally, you can have a crappy quality of life and your body will still go. So I said to her, what if I made you some food? What if I started feeding you? Because it is guaranteed Mm. that you will die at some point. Like, you are going to get what you want, but we don't know when. And, like, why have your quality of life between now and then be horrible and deteriorating? Let's see if we can make it slightly manageable and even better. And maybe even, you know, have some amazing things happen. So long story short, in the last 10 days or so, I've been cooking for this person, which always means, when I cook for someone else, that I'm cooking better for me. And I'm eating better. And I'm realizing, like, oh, my God, the power of the food. Um, on, on the note of, of food and kind of self-care, and you can probably attest to this, it's like when you're doing comedy and, or whatever you're doing, you know, in the entertainment business, it's a lot of, it's long hours, it's grueling hours, it's not taking care of yourself, it's not sleeping enough, it's not eating properly, it's eating fast food, it's not working out. And, and right now, kind of after, now that the film's done and everything's kind of solidified and we're not worried anymore, there's, nothing, there's, there's literally nothing to do. It's nice to just mm-hmm. be able to sleep and eat healthy and cook in my kitchen again and like, you know, make a poached egg in the morning um, and, and go for a hike with a friend in the morning and, and just like be very, very present into how is my body reacting to certain things or what does my body need? And the, it's the beauty in that kind of simplicity of just saying, you know what, I'm going to stay in tonight or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch a film, I'm going to lie in bed, I'm going to sleep in. I mean, I'm still working, don't get me wrong, but the, the beauty of just saying, I think I need to take care of myself and my body now because I've been neglecting it for so long, Jess. This, this film took a year to make, starting from a minivan, but that wasn't even the hardest part. It was like the all-nighters in a, in a dark room editing, the Zooms with people all over the world at different times of the hour. It mm-hmm. wasn't taking mm-hmm. care of yourself and, and forgetting to exercise. So, like, I'm just happy that it's done and, like, that I can move on with my kind of life and, and the process and, and take care of myself. Oh, you're reminding me, like, the first time I delivered a manuscript of a book. It was The Hip Chick's Guide to Macrobiotics, and I delivered the manuscript, I believe, on December 15th of 2003. And the crunch up to that deadline, and believe me, publishers are very serious, especially with a first-time author, that you deliver on time. That's a thing. So I was really paid attention to the deadline, and the squeeze of energy going up to the deadline was fierce, just like you're saying. So it's a delicious time when you've really earned it. And I'm so glad you're getting to enjoy it. You know, you've, you've earned every moment of that. Come down. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's that kind of big sigh of relief. I'm like, it's, I'm glad it happened and I'm happy it's over. <laughs> you know, like just being yeah. able to like, yeah. oh my God, what's it? Yeah. To be able to like go out for dinner again or like, yeah, and just like having enough time to like use your Swiffer. You're like, oh my God, I forgot I even had this. It's like simple, 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 small, small things. My next one is for people. I did stand up at the Eagle this week, the leather bar in Silver Lake, like mm-hmm. big daddy oh, gay leather bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
it, it was so much fun. And I'm becoming a really firm believer with stand-up or performing in general is that the job is to get on the stage and love the audience. Like you just love people. And all that really means mm-hmm. is being enough out of your own ego so the energy can just move from you to them and not have it be like filtered by all sorts of like bullshit. And people feel it because they're made of the exact same energy. Like ultimately we're all made of the exact same stuff. So if you can take an audience situation and just acknowledge that, I don't know how you do it. I mean, I know how I do it. I kind of walk on stage and say to myself, like, I'm just going to have fun. And if I have fun, I'm the tuning fork of the room. So everyone else ends up having fun. So at the Eagle, you're at this venue where there's a full active bar right in front of you. Like you're doing stand-up on a stage that's facing this bar, and it's surrounded by guys wanting to meet people, like, on dates and have romantic experiences or social experiences. They're not there to see comedy. It's a bar. And there's literally porn playing on two videos in that room mm. the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So it could not be a more competitive attention experience. You know, like you, you, it's hard to draw attention from those two things. But I did it. I managed to connect with the people in the room who were willing to bring their attention to the comic. And it's just delicious being with people. And I've started to just treat comedy as like, that's what it is. It's just being with people. And the simpler I see it, or the more simply I see it, the easier it is, the more fun it is, the smoother it is, and the more you can kind of do no wrong because you're just loving people. And that makes everyone feel good. Does that make any sense? Yeah, completely. Now that the the film's kind of done, I've been having a lot of conversations with other folks about like what's next. I'm grateful for being able to have the the opportunity to be skilled enough and qualified enough and knowing that I've done what I've done to be able to do it again. Being able to just sit down and think, I'm going to be able to do that again. And like, what's that going to look like? And what's that story going to be about? And what's that story going to highlight? And what's, what's that going to look like? And just being able to just, you know, have, have creative freedom over your next project is a really exciting thing. I don't know exactly what my next film or project will be, but I'm just so excited for the possibility of what it could be and and being able to have those conversations with myself and other people about what that looks like. The possibility of the unknown is, is something I'm, I'm grateful for and then something I'm excited for too. Yeah, I was saying to someone the other day, you know, I've had a weird life that uh, has been unconventional in many, many ways. And, and I'm not, you know, it's just what it is. I didn't get married. I didn't have kids. And, you know, that's not statistically what most women do. And one, another aspect in which it's sort of unconventional, I think, maybe, maybe a lot of people feel this way, I don't know, but is that as I'm getting older, I actually feel like my life is expanding, like that I'm about to step into a massive growth period. And in fact, it's already happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of feeling it happen. And it's blowing my mind. You know, obviously, many of the things are seeds that I planted recently, or literally like the fruits of harvest that took place decades ago. 
but it's sort of all coming together in this new chapter. And it's exciting. It's really exciting. So I just want to say I too am grateful for the feeling of possibility and the feeling of expansion. Yeah, which is, yeah. A, real, which is a real joy to feel. I, I also echo that sentiment of like, I finally feel like I know what I'm doing and like I know what I want to say and what I want to do and what I care about and what I don't care about and who I want to stand beside and who I don't want to stand beside. 100%. You're a good man, Connor, bad beef. Oh, Jess. Well, I, I try. <laughs>